When I was a kid, I wanted to be all the things. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a policeman for a while. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a fireman, and that's only because they had this TV show on called Emergency. And I would pedal around with my banana handle bicycle, and I would in my head go, wee, 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 <laughs> responding to emergencies. <laughs> when I was a kid, I wanted to be a lawyer. When I was in fifth and sixth grade, I wanted to be president of the United States of America. Now, I should say to you grown-ups, back in the 1970s, we didn't send kids to therapy. <laughs> okay? It wasn't, wasn't a thing yet. Since there are some of you in the room, I'm curious, when you were a kid, what are some things you wanted to be when you grew up? Would you shout out some of the things that you wanted to be? A teacher. Teacher. Geneticist. A hippie. A hippie. A what? Chef. Chef. A hippie. I love it. A what? Forest ranger. Forest ranger. Paleontologist. Paleontologist. These are so cool. Vigilante. <laughs> vigilante superhero. Only in this church family. A carpenter. A carpenter. Awesome. When you're a kid, you believe that you can be anything. When you're a kid, you believe that you can do anything. Anything is possible. And I find it interesting the language we use to talk to kids about the job or career they might have someday. We don't say to kids, what kind of jobs would you like to try, David? We don't say to kid, kids, what career do you envision yourself following? We don't say to kids, what things might you want might you want to do to earn a paycheck what are some things you might want to do to earn money what we do say to kids what we do ask is what do you want to be we use language of identity which makes sense for us americans because so much of our professional life is tied to our identity often in unhealthy ways so people say i'm a teacher they don't say, I teach. People say, I'm a fireman. They don't say, I sweep a lot of debris off the highways and occasionally run into burning buildings. <laughs> okay? They say, I'm a fireman. But here's the thing. The question, what do you want to be when you grow up, is never asked in certain parts of the world. If you go to the continent of Asia, the continent of Africa, the Middle East, no one asks a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? Nobody asks that. Uh, in traditional cultures, you obtain a good identity by sublimating yourself to the good of your family, the good of your community, the good of your people. So if your mom and dad own a grocery store, guess what? Guess what you're going to be when you grow up? A grocer. You're going to own a grocery store. In other words, whatever the family does, that's what you do. Whatever the family wants, that's what you do. Period. Full stop. The rare individual from one of these cultures who comes to America to follow their heart and pursue their dreams, back home, they're the black sheep of the family. 
Back home, other people talking to that person's parents say, where do you think you went wrong? This must be so hard for you. What would cause them to go to America and think they could become a rap star? Why didn't they want to become a grocer just like you, right? There's all this angst that gets created when somebody, the rare person, comes to America to pursue their dreams. So in traditional cultures, if you ask someone, who are you? They'll answer with, well, I'm the son of, or I'm the mother of. In those cultures, again, honor and identity is bestowed when you submit to the good of the family, the community, or your people. And by the way, this is how it worked in Jesus' day. Jesus was a carpenter because Joseph was a carpenter. Um, identity has two parts to it, okay? One is this sense of self, and the other is this sense of worth. The sense of self is this core you that goes through all the different roles and hats that you have. So there is a max that's me, that's me as a pastor, as a chamber ambassador, as an adjunct faculty member at Asbury, as a husband, a father, as a Trekkie, as a maker of fine desserts, as an outdoorsman, there's a max that, who's really tired, can sometimes be sarcastic, like that max, that max is consistent through all those hats and roles. The other part of identity is this sense of worth. What makes you feel significant? What makes you feel confident of your value, okay? Unlike traditional cultures, we in America do it different. We like to do things differently in America, don't we? And in America, what we do is we tell people, Kate, we say, you got some feelings going on in there somewhere. Go into there and all of those feelings and find something that you feel strongly and you express that. You express it, you assert it, you follow it, and then make it happen, okay? Don't let anyone tell you who you are, Kate, especially your parents. I mean, they're stupid. What do they know, right? And that's part of, <laughs> that's part of the American way of going about framing identity, okay? This method actually has a name. It's called expressive individualism, okay? Expressive individualism. Here are some key phrases of expressive individualism. Hey, you be you, Paul. I'm going to be me. You be you. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Find yourself. And this is part of our culture, isn't it? It's in the movies. It's in the air that we breathe. It's just how America tells people. This is how you figure out who you are. Jenny had a childhood friend named Branch. I've told you Branch's story before, but if you're new, Branch was the son of another man named Branch. And Branch's father was a doctor. And Branch's father wanted Branch to become, guess what? A doctor. So Branch went off to college, then he went off to medical school, and in the middle of medical school, he said to himself, Dad, I want to sing. Oh. And he became an opera singer and toured Europe wow. and walked away from medical school. People, people were like, you go, Branch Jr. Don't let your dad tell you. You be you. Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. They cheered for him, even when they couldn't eat because, you know, opera singers don't make a lot of money. Like in all of that context, right? So this method of identity is called expressive individualism. 
okay? Robert Bella, who in 1995 nailed it on the head, he saw this coming. He said this, expressive individualism holds that each person has a unique core of feeling and intuition that should unfold or be expressed if individually individuality is to be realized. In other words, find something on the inside that you feel and feel strongly and express it and go with it. Okay, and America is great about this. Another way uh, that it gets talked about is through Charles Taylor, and he identifies this. He says, the culture of authenticity is one where each one of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity. And that it is important to find out and live out one's own as against surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from the outside by society or by previous generations or religious or political authority. Don't you be listening to that pastor on Sunday. <laughs> you be you. You be you. Um, so if you want to know who you are in America, you got to reach deep down inside, find some things that you feel strongly about, express it, follow it, and make it happen. I watch this play out in our community almost every year in something that the school district calls Operation Preparation. Some of you have come up through the school district and you know what I'm talking about. So Operation Preparation, for those of you uninitiated, is when we take all of our community's eighth graders and we put them in the cafeteria in the library and they do speed dating for their careers. <laughs> they go table by table by table. Do you like band or choir? Do you think you just want to play or do you think you want to make this a career? Do you need to be in gen eds or do you need to do AP chemistry or AP biology? Because if you want to do something in the sciences, you've got to take that track. What do you want? Do you know what you want? And then we have 24 different pathways, diesel mechanic, uh, art, law enforcement, uh, healthcare, uh, food sciences, childcare, early childhood, which one of these 24 things do you want to be your pathway? And you watch these eighth graders in this room and they're like, I don't know, what should I do? I, I like band, but I don't think I want to like have band be my life. But like, you know, and so there's all this angst in this moment because they don't know, they're not sure. Um, and we frame this up as this uh, thing where they've got to make this, this path. They're, Let's be honest, some of these eighth graders, and I apologize to eighth graders in advance, I was here, I remember being an eighth grade boy, one of the biggest questions that I needed to figure out at that age was, how often should I shower regularly? <laughs> how, is it an everyday thing? Is it an every week thing? Like, how often? Like, forget about what kind of career or path or identity I was going to have. Like, I, I was still stuck on the showering thing, okay? So... I want you to get that because you're an American, this is just part of the air that we breathe. And it's part of how our culture goes about identity formation. In 2015, Tim Keller gave a talk at my alma mater, Wheaton College, and he unpacked five ways that expressive individualism doesn't work. It, it just doesn't work as a really good way to frame identity for human beings. And so I wanna share those five things with you today. Five ways that expressive individualism doesn't work, okay? And the first one is simply this, it's incoherent. Expressive individualism is often incoherent, meaning 
you want different things that don't necessarily go together and you want them at the same time. Let me give you an example. I want a trim body. I also want a lot of ice cream. And when I say a lot of ice cream, I mean a lot, like a second bowl, okay? That's what I want. And ribeye steaks and lots of candy, all the Easter candy, especially the Reese's peanut butter eggs, lots of them, okay? Those two wants that I have that are entirely legitimate, you could say, they don't coincide well. Like the wanting a trim body coincides more with going to the gym every day, <laughs> okay? And so this is how it plays out with us. We want things that often conflict with each other. Um, it plays out in lots of ways. In one of these uh, operation preparation things one year, I ran into a teenage uh, young lady and she wanted to be a vet. This is what she expressed to me. I love doggies, I love rabbits, I love horses, I just love animals and I wanna be a vet. And in the course of a back and forth conversation with her, I discovered that she doesn't, she has dogs at home, but she doesn't pick up the poop because she can't handle bodily fluids <laughs> or bodily things of any kind. Like she can't do it, period. And do those things go together, being a vet and having nothing to do with bodily fluids of an organic animal? <laughs> No, like, have you ever seen a cow being born? <laughs> it's a lot of bodily fluids. <laughs> a lot, okay? By the way, this incoherence plays out in dating relationships. So right now on the campus of Asbury University, there are some power couples, and they're engaged because it's spring, and they're going to get married this summer. And she was a missionary kid from Africa, and she, because of the movement and the awakening in February, she has this renewed call. God is calling me back to the continent of Africa. I just know it. But she's engaged to a man who's coming out of the media communication department. And he is called to go to Los Angeles and help bring a Christian voice to film. And they're having a go and a round at it as a couple. What are we going to do? How do we figure this out? Whoa! It's incoherent. <laughs> it's incoherent. Um, so that's one way and one reason that expressive individualism doesn't work. It's incoherent. The other reason that it doesn't work is that it's unstable. What's on the inside is always changing. For those of you in your 20s, do you remember when you were 14 years old? Come on, that person was an idiot. For those of you over 50, <laughs> can you remember what you were like when you were 20? Again, that person was an idiot. <laughs> I'll let you in on a secret. I don't go back and listen to sermons that I preached 10 years ago. Because I listen to that man and I go, that man does not know what he's talking about. How did they ever let him be a pastor? I can't believe. Now, did truth change? No, but I sure did. I sure did. So that's another reason this expressive individualism doesn't work is that it's un. Stable, it's unstable. A third reason that Keller outlines that expressive individualism doesn't work is that it's illusory. And here's what I mean by that. You and I think that every feeling that we have on the inside is just us and it comes from us. But a lot of the things that you think and feel are in there because you're Americans and it's 2023 and all Americans think and feel those things because it's part of being an American, living in America. Um, let me demonstrate how this works out. If you were the son of a plantation owner 
in colonial America, in South Carolina, and it's 1750, okay, you're motivated by honor. I mean, the framers of the Constitution, we all hang separately or we all hang together. Like, there's this honor thing that goes through colonial America, and particular through, th particularly through plantation living in the South in colonial America. And, and it's just part of the culture. It's part of how you would conceive of yourself and how to live a life and what your identity is. That's very different than the person today who lives in New York whose dad is a hedge fund manager, and he says to his dad, Dad, I just know I'm an artist. <laughs> but you can't make any money doing that, son. I know, right? And, and there it goes, expressive individualism. So one of the things that expressive individualism the reason it doesn't work is because many of the things that we feel and think on the inside aren't necessarily us. It's just what culture is placed in us. And we haven't really taken the time to kind of ferret out what's really authentically me and then what's the American me that all Americans like me kind of think and feel because it's just part of the culture, okay? Culture tips the scales for feelings, which feelings are suppressed and which feelings are elevated. In other words, culture elevates some things and, you know, depresses others and vice versa. Culture does that, okay? A fourth reason that expressive individualism doesn't work is that it's high pressure. Remember all those graduation speeches? Who's got to go out there and change the world, make a difference? You do. That's a lot of pressure on you to find your authentic self, live it dazzle everyone around you and become the best at fill in the blank. I actually lifted a paragraph from a graduation speech. Okay, so Generations Community Church, I confer upon you now the, the uh, Master of Arts, turn your tassel, <laughs> take your tassel, turn it over, okay? Good job, all right? Lifted right out of a graduation speech. Look at where we are now. We are the brave, the bold, and the beautiful. And while we've experienced many milestones here at Blank University, we're entering a world that compels us to act, to strive to make a difference. Remember, you are the future and the future is in your hands. Don't you just want to clap? <laughs> Don't you just want to clap? But you got to make all that happen. You got to impress the world. You got to express. That's a lot of pressure on you. And when your identity is your career, your body, another person, it can and will crush you, okay? It can and will crush you. It's high pressure. And then lastly, uh, as Tim Keller would say, it's excluding. Expressive individualism <laughs> is excluding. And here's what I mean by that. It's not, it's not enough to just be smart. You have to be the smartest. So if this thing about your identity is that you're smart and you're in a room and you meet someone and you realize they're smarter than me, instead of being like, oh, this is wonderful. God's made lots of smart people. What you think is, man, I can't believe I'm not as smart as person over here that I just met. Okay. And so part of the way this plays out in America is that you have to be the best at the top, the smartest person in the room, the most talented musician ever, the artist of the millennia. Like, and that's a lot, a lot of pressure. It's excluding because let's be honest, only a few people win Oscars. 
Only a few people win Nobel Prizes, and the rest of us, that's not us. <laughs> that's not us. And so if being the best is part of the package, that excludes a lot of people, okay? My goal today is that I want you to see that America says a lot of things to us. And America is telling us a way to kind of figure out who we are that I don't think leads to a rich and satisfying life. I think it leads to a lot of angst, a lot of pressure, and a lot of condemnation, okay? And I think there's a better way. Amidst all the voices, amidst all the sirens of identity, there's one still small voice that says, follow me. Come unto me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. In John chapter 10, uh, Jesus tells us who he is. And this is what he says. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from the stranger because they don't know his voice. This harkens back to Ezekiel chapter 34, where the prophet is saying, oh yeah, there are shepherds in Israel, but they're feeding themselves. They're crushing people with heavy loads. They're not good shepherds at all. They're bad shepherds. Well, let me tell you what I, the Lord, am going to do. I will, and God spells this out through the prophet Ezekiel. Jesus in this passage is telling us some important things. And again, I wanna make this distinction for you I've made before. A shepherd leads and the sheep follow, okay? The butcher drives. When you're feeling driven, understand Jesus is not driving you. <laughs> when you feel driven, that leads to not a good place, okay? The shepherd leads, the butcher drives, and the sheep know the shepherd's voice. They recognize his voice. When God speaks in the Bible, no one ever does the whole, did you get that? Did God say something? I'm not like, <laughs> right? God's voice is discernible. We'll get into that in the weeks ahead. And then in verses six and following, Jesus continues. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration, they didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to kill and steal and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. By day, Jesus is leading sheep to pasture, and by night, Jesus is guarding the sheepfold and providing safety. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. In this metaphor, God is the shepherd and we are the 
sheep. So again, you may remember a number of months ago, I showed you a video of a sheep that was stuck in a ditch. And the shepherd freed the sheep, and the sheep went leap, 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 plunk, back in the ditch. That's a good picture to have in mind. Remember, in Scripture, God's calling us, what? Yeah, sheep don't have the sense to come in from the rain. Sheep need to be sheared, or their wool will get stuck in branches and bramble. Sheep cannot feed themselves. Sheep are completely dependent on the shepherd for everything. So Generations family, I want to tell you something today. You cannot reach down inside, pull something out, express it, and have that define you in a meaningful and satisfying way. Um, and so as we begin and as we walk out over these next several weeks, what I want to encourage all of us is to have an open posture with God. In other words, hey, God, I want you to tell me who I am. I want you to convey to me my worth. I want to look to you for these larger things of identity because you're good. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. You come to give a rich and satisfying life. That's very different than the sirens of identity that are going on in American culture. Okay, so rather than give you homework this first week, I have a couple of questions that I want to ask. And the first question is simply this. Where do you go for validation? Where do you go for validation and meaning? And if that question doesn't make sense, another way to look at it is simply this way. In what settings are you greatly frustrated because you feel less? In what situations are you all crotchety and bent out of shape, right? So that's another way to, to do this measuring stick of validation and meaning. Where do you go for validation and meaning? And then secondly, who or what has power over you? Could you lose your job or your career and survive? Could you lose your role and survive? Could you lose that relationship and survive? So again, America's telling us we got to reach down, pull something from the inside, express it. And I just want to say to you, there's a better way. There's a better way. There's a better way. If you want to know how to live, if you want to be free, look to the shepherd, look to Jesus, follow his voice, follow him. In the next several weeks, I'm going to talk about what, are, what does that look like? How do we have this posture? And what are some of the ways of this process of God telling us who we are in a way that leads to things that are true and beautiful and good and that bring about tremendous freedom in our lives, okay?